Welcome to the Salt Church Podcast. We're a church that meets in the heart of Wollongong. Come and visit us on Sundays, 10am and 5pm at 275 Kira Street. We'd love to meet you. It's funny, one of those days, isn't it? Uh, Father's Day. Uh, some, some of us are rejoicing. Some of us, it brings grief. Uh, it's good to... Uh, Weep with those who are weeping, rejoice with those who are rejoicing. Uh, and I was thinking about fathers uh, this week, and there's, there's lots of fathers across salt uh, and grandfathers, and there's actually lots of fathers-to-be. Uh, and there's, there's 10 fathers-to-be. Um, so there's 10... Well, there was 10 pregnant women. There was one baby born this week. Um, so Elijah Howard from 10am Church. But... Um, who do you think is winning the race in the, in the most number of pregnancies at the moment between 10 a.m. and 5 p.m.? It's 5 p.m. Yeah, yeah. so there are going to be six babies soon at 5 p.m., which is very exciting, and six fathers uh, for the first time who have no idea what they're getting themselves into um, and how much is going to cost them. Uh, but here's a word to fathers briefly. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6, 4 says that you've got one job. Listen to this. Uh, Fathers, do not exasperate your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. There is your job. So don't provoke your children. Don't embitter them. Don't frustrate them. Don't stir them up to anger, but train them, coach them, model to them what it looks like to love Jesus uh, all the all the the days of their life. Um, there is your job. Um, so if you're if you're a new dad, if you're an old dad, there's your job. Um, you thought your work was important. Actually, here's what's important. Uh, here's what lasts into eternity. Uh, if you are married, it's it's loving Jesus, loving your wife, um, teaching your children to love Jesus that lasts into eternity. Now, as we're talking about families, it is amazing, isn't it, how God has designed families. Have you ever thought about this? God is the creator. God uh, makes children, brings children into the world. Uh, look at how precious they are. And then he gives them into the hands of, gives them, resp- gives them over to the responsibility of mothers and fathers in families to raise them. Uh, now, I remember very st- distinctly uh, bringing my firstborn home. Um, from hospital uh, with great joy, um, driving exceptionally carefully from the hospital all the way home, um, putting her in the bassinet uh, in the middle of the back seat in my Camry, um, coming home to a whole lot of excitement, a whole lot of people there, family, friends. Uh, And I remember distinctly as each person left and the house got quieter and quieter and the noise of my daughter's crying got louder and louder and louder um, until it was Nat and I left and then it was there was a moment when I was left and I thought to myself wow uh, how precious is she how little is she how dependent and we have responsibility for her that's amazing that's incredible now magnify that a million times and think about God and his children think about his church we're going to think about the leadership and the care of his church, his children tonight. Uh, It's astonishing, isn't it? It's mind-blowing that not only does God hand over the care of his church to human leaders, but I want you to see something else here. God bled for his church. 
God bled for his church. The creator of the universe came and bled to create this church. Um, Have a look with me, Acts chapter 20, and I want you to focus on one verse initially, because I reckon... uh, if you, unless you feel the weight of this verse, you won't get what Paul's saying here. You won't get church. So look at verse 28. The extent to which you feel the gravity of this verse is the extent that you'll get everything that Paul's saying here tonight. Verse 28, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood so here's Paul speaking to leaders care for the flock protect lead God's church knowing that God bought this group of people with his own blood Uh, it's incredible isn't it God himself the creator of the universe bled to make this gathering of people Uh, Jesus God the son on the cross, faces the judgment of God, spills his blood, so we might be forgiven, we might be gathered to Jesus and gathered to one another, God bled to make this people, the church. Uh, The language for bleed uh, in the Bible is shorthand for die. Uh, It's so extraordinary that some scholars want to suggest that this verse is actually not saying what it seems to be saying. Uh, So it's literally in the Greek, be shepherds of God's flock, which he bought with the blood of his own. So the word son is not there, uh, but it's a natural implication, is it? Which he bought with the blood of his own son. That makes sense. Jesus, who was God, bled on the cross for us. But it could be that simply, uh, which he bought with the blood of his own, with his own blood, God himself. Uh, it's an, either way, it's an extraordinary statement, isn't it? That God himself, in his son, bled to save people from hell, uh, to gather people incredibly precious to him for all eternity. That's what God has done for... It's the, this is the central truth of all the Bible, isn't it? This is the one that's explained and explored all throughout the Bible. So 1 Peter 3... Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. That's what happened at the cross. Or John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Or 2 Corinthians 5, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Um, And then... Even more extraordinary, he hands over to men, lead, care, protect this group of people that I have bought with my blood. It is, it's just extraordinary, isn't it? Now, most of you aren't parents, but can you imagine how massive it would be for a parent to do that to their children, to hand their children over, maybe you've seen this, uh, over to someone else to care for. Uh, that is a massive thing uh, if, for parents just to hand them over for a short time is, is concerning. Uh, and we haven't died for our children. God bled for his church and he says, leaders, take responsibility of these precious people. 
And that's what we're looking at tonight. So one of those people who has responsibility, one of those leaders is the Apostle Paul. And he's about to depart. He's speaking to the next generation of leaders. Here's your responsibility. Here's now what you are to do. Care for God's flock. The flock that God bled for. Uh, in Acts, this is, this is the only speech that's spoken to Christians. Uh, you might have noticed if you've been on the journey, uh, all the speeches are directed to Jews and Gentiles who don't know Jesus. Uh, Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the King, turn to him, be forgiven. This is one directed at already disciples that are already uh, belong to Jesus. And it's directed at leaders, but actually it's got something profound and precious to say to all of us as we think about who the church is and who Jesus is. So let's have a look at the context. Look at verse 16 and 17. What's the context? Uh, Well, Paul's en route to Jerusalem. Uh, If you've been tracking, he's on this huge missionary journey through Europe. Uh, He's already been to Ephesus. Uh, He's moved out from Ephesus. If you were with us last week, there was a huge riot in Ephesus because of the gospel of Jesus. Uh, you might remember he spent heaps of, times, heaps of time in Corinth and Ephesus. He's been kicked out of synagogues. Uh, he's had a hard time. Uh, and then he returns not to Ephesus, but he returns to just south of Ephesus, there on the map, to a place called Miletus. Uh, and, and why does he go to Miletus and not Ephesus? It's because uh, verse 16 tells us he's in a hurry to get to Jerusalem before Pentecost. And why would, you, why would he not go into Ephesus? Well, in Ephesus, there's so many people that know him. There's now so many disciples and churches springing up. Uh, that is going to delay him majorly. He's going to get so many invites to dinner <laughs> at Ephesus. He decides to go to Miletus. That'll be quicker. And he says, bring the elders, bring the leaders from, the, from Ephesus to Miletus. I want to address the leaders, and that's what happens. They arrive from Ephesus. Uh, But before we explore what he says to them, I want you to notice how Paul speaks about his life. I think this is really extraordinary. Uh, It it just shocks our ears, I think, when we hear it. Uh, And it's certainly not the way our culture speaks about life. Um, I don't know whether you've noticed this, but so much is about your life, you, your goals, your ambitions, um, bucket lists and FOMO, yeah? Um, listen, to, listen to Paul speak, and, I, and there's, there's things that are very unique here to Paul as the Apostle, but actually, this is the character of the normal Christian life. Have a listen, verse 22. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. That is extraordinary, isn't it? That's an amazing thing that he can say. But it's actually normal Christian living, isn't it? Now, your life is not your own. Jesus is Lord. You've turned to him. He is the king. 
And your job is to please him, to live with him, live for him all your days. And so Paul totally gets this. And so what does he say? He says, I'm heading to Jerusalem. I don't know how things are going to turn out there. Um, Other than he's got an insight from the Spirit, it's going to be exceptionally hard. There's going to be prison and hardships. They await me. But I consider my life worth nothing to me. Now, Paul's not, it's not that Paul's got low self-esteem. This is Paul saying, no, no, my life, my goals, my ambitions don't matter. What matters now is Jesus. What matters now is that I finish the race and complete the task that Jesus has given me. What I must do is testify to the good news of Jesus right to the last day. And if that involves suffering and difficulty, I'm not going to shy away from it. Because now my goal is to please him. That is, that is how to think as a disciple of Jesus, isn't it? Is that how you think about your life? That whatever it takes, I want to follow Jesus right to the very end. I want to please him. I want to live for him. And when you get to the end of your, your life, uh, what will really matter? What do you want to say? When it's finished, what matters is not how rich you got, how well your business went, how well your career went, not whether you got married or not or had kids or grandkids, uh, not whether, whether you had lots of holidays, but that I lived for Jesus right to the very end, that my life was actually about giving him the priority of all my days, uh, that I was pleasing him and pointing people to him. That's what my life was about. That's what Paul's life's about. And that's what, it, that's what the life of a disciple of Jesus is all about. So Paul gets the leaders of the church together. And it is an intense moment, isn't it? He knows and they know this is the last time they will ever see him. So look at verse 36. You pick up the emotion. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. And then they accompanied him to the ship. This is a powerful moment. This is a farewell speech. Um, There's something intense about it. These are the last words that Paul will speak to these leaders. And there's lots here that we learn about church leadership. Let me me take you through it. Um, There's language here that helps us with church leadership. Um, did you pick up, there's three terms here used for the role of the Christian leader. The first one is elder, look at that in verse 17. Uh, Luke uses this word, elder. Paul sent for the elders of the church. Uh, But there's two other titles that Paul uses when he speaks directly to the leaders. Uh, He calls them overseers. Um, So he says, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. And he also calls them shepherds. Uh, So next line, be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. So three terms um, should be on the screen there. Um, Elders, overseers and shepherds are the three terms. Uh, a little bit of background, um, so, so sorry, let, let me see, elders, overseer, shepherd, all referring to the same group of people, right? Not three different groups of people, one group of people, leaders of God's church, he uses these three terms. Now a little bit of background, uh, there's something behind each of these words. So elder uh, is, is the translation of the Greek word presperos, 
uh, which means presbyter. Uh, you might be familiar with the Presbyterian Church, um, a, a certain form of government. Uh, it comes from the Jewish world. It comes from the synagogue leader, uh, leader of the synagogue, the elder, literally the older man who leads the synagogue. That's where that word comes from. Um, the second one, overseer, comes from the Greek wor- world, uh, the, the city-state where it was governed by overseers. Um, so that's the Greek word episkopos, uh, which we translate bishop, um, and, and some have uh, and also translated overseer, which we've got in our NIV. And then the third one is shepherd, uh, which comes from, from the Greek, but into Latin, which means pastor, so shepherd is the word that we see there as pastor, or we use as pastor. Uh, so to pastor means to shepherd. Uh, and then there's, there's probably a fourth one that's not here, and that's Hebrews 13. So the Bible uses all of these. One more is just simply leader in Hebrews 13. Submit to your leaders. Um, now, I reckon all of that says to us that titles aren't important. Uh, Because here is Paul and Luke and the writer of the Hebrews using different titles to actually refer to the same group of people. And so you don't have to call your leaders in church elders any more than you need to call them bishops uh, or presbyters um, or episcopoi. Um, You can call me an elder, you can call me a bishop, you can call me um, shepherd. I got called Pastor Mike at Grow on, on Wednesday night. Here's my preferred title. Michael. <laughs> so that, that works? Okay. Now, it's not important the title. It's important to recognise pastors, set them aside. Um, their role is important. It's good that they're identifiable. Um, but the title uh, doesn't really matter. Uh, but notice the titles here give you helpful insights into the role. Uh, they give you a window into what, what is this, this leadership role about? Um, So elder, what does that tell you? It's someone who's older, the assumption being it's someone who who is more mature, uh, who's walked more of the Christian life. He's a person that we're going to rely upon for wisdom and teaching and example. Um, So maturity is important. Paul says to Timothy, don't um, appoint leaders who are young, particularly young in the faith. Uh, That would be unwise for them. That would be unwise for church. Um, Overseer, what does that tell you? Uh, here's someone who needs to manage and organise the church. Uh, That was the role of the overseer in the city. And so Paul says in 1 Timothy 3, um, character is important for the elder. Uh, They need to be able to teach and they also need to be able to manage their own family because they're going to be managing the household of God. They're going to be organising, managing um, God's church. And then shepherd, shepherd speaks wonderfully of of the role of caring for sheep, feeding, protecting, and importantly, realising there is a chief shepherd who is Jesus. And so your role is the under-shepherd, or in Australian terms, the sheepdog under the true shepherd who is Jesus. Uh, And so you see the leader needs to be a shepherd, he needs, to, he needs to feed, he needs to nurture, he needs to manage and he needs to organise church. So it's not good enough just to be godly in character, that, although that is essential. It's not good enough uh, just to be able to teach, although that is key. 
You also need to be able to manage. You also need to be able to organise. That's your role uh, in God's church. Now, lastly, um, lots of discussion about down the centuries to this date about should there be multiple uh, elders, uh, bishops, pastors, shepherds in one church, or is it okay to have one elder, one bishop um, for the church? And if you've done a little bit of church history, you might notice that every denomination wants to prove their system of government comes from the Bible. Have you noticed this? Um, Which tells you that the Bible's not putting forward one model, here's what you must do, but putting forward principles uh, of how to think about leadership and organising of church. And so you could argue from this part of the Bible that here is um, Paul setting up a pattern of multiple elders, uh, multiple uh, leadership of, of a congregation because you've got a group of elders, plural, from Ephesus. But it's a little bit more tricky than that, isn't it? Because uh, the assumption being it's not just one church in Ephesus. It, it, it would have grown much bigger than that. There would have been lots of church plants, lots of house churches. And so probably more likely is lots of congregations. And it's quite possible the Jewish model of a, the synagogue leader model where there's one elder per church or house church. And Paul's just gathered all of those elders together uh, to speak to them. Now, suffice to say, wisdom would tell you multiple elders is a good idea, uh, is, is wise, is healthy, and that's what we've got here at Salt. Um, so we have multiple pastors, uh, but we have a lead pastor. We have a team leading church, uh, but we have a leader of that team. That's where we've landed as we've searched the scriptures. Not because there's the model that the Bible says you must have, but out of those principles, here's what we've come up with, which we think is pleasing to God. So what does Paul say to the leaders? Uh, Let's look at that. Look at verse 18. He says, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears. There's, there's a great statement on church leadership. There's Paul saying, I, I fathered you, I protected you, I led you, uh, I trained you, I instructed you, but I did it with humility and I did it with tears. Um, that is, Christian leadership is never to be professional. Uh, often when we, when we uh, hear someone commended for their work, you hear... Wow, they acted so professionally. And I I think that means they did a good job, they're good at the task, they didn't let their emotions, their feelings get in the way of the job. They were dispassionate. Um, They performed their duties. Um, In fact, uh, many would say that leaders need to maintain separation. Your life must be separate from your work and and that that is to be commended. But... Let me say, church leadership is never to be like that. Uh, You only got to understand the language of shepherd, haven't you, to understand that it can't be like that, that the shepherd is not just doing a job, that the shepherd uh, is is someone who actually cares genuinely about the sheep, yeah? That the the, the shepherd, though though he needs to have rest, 
he will rest and sleep better when he knows the sheep are well cared for. And the, the shepherd will lose sleep when there's, a, when there's a sheep injured or there's someone who's run away or there's a wolf lurking or whatever's going on for the sheep is going to impact the shepherd and that's just the way it's meant to be. Christian leadership is bound up with the people which you lead. Uh, that's what's distinctive about it. That's why Paul says he led with humility and tears. Uh, he led by example. His teaching was what he said. It was also what he did. He opened his life as well as sh- shared the gospel with people. Um, and all this with great confidence in God and great confidence in Jesus, the great shepherd, isn't it? That Paul realises um, God is able to keep people. Uh, so at the end of this speech, he's able to entrust the leaders to God, knowing they'll be okay. Um, so he'll work hard, he'll give himself, but actually it is God who'll, who'll, who'll keep them in the end. And so he can leave them. And yet this is the life of a pastor. This is the life of a Christian leader. This is my life. Uh, this is the life of the pastors here at Salt. This is the life of other leaders um, some of you here tonight, who care for other people, brothers and sisters at Salt, uh, small group leaders and team leaders, uh, people that actually carry a burden for the spiritual welfare of Salt, of people. Uh, and let me say burden, but gladly carry that burden. What a privilege. What a, what a privilege and a responsibility to do that. But do carry that weight. And we love it. I love it. I love pastoring. But if I was to choose a job that was easier, there there are jobs that are easier, yeah? Um, uh, There are sleepless nights when you're thinking about how this person is going. As you're uh, praying for, as you are shedding tears in distress because of what's happened. Um, when you're worried and concerned that that sheep, that disciple, uh, is really not going very well, uh, that they are being harmed. And we are relieved, we are pleased when things are going well, uh, when you are progressing in the Christian life. Because church, is, it's, it's not a business, it's not a charity, it's a family. And that changes everything, doesn't it? It might be a lar- it's a large family, it's a, it's a family that requires organisation, it's a family on mission together, it's a family that has Jesus as Lord, but it is a family. And if you're leading the family, you're going to lead, it involves your heart and your life and your emotions and that's just the way it is. And so can I just say, if you're in leadership at Salt, that's how it should be for you. Uh, We don't want you just doing a job. We don't want you just doing a task. Uh, We don't want you just leading a team. We want you to love and care for people Um, because it's a family, because God cares, because God bled for his church. This is the nature of Christian leadership. And sometimes you can think, oh, aren't we just getting together to do a task? It's not about the task. It's about the people that you're doing it with. And surely that task is about the outcome of loving and serving people and so it's always about people 
And so if you're a leader here, be prepared to keep investing in people. Keep loving, serving people, giving yourself. Uh, it's going to mean riding the emotional roller coaster with people, isn't it? And you just can't play it safe. You can't um, pursue emotional safety and protect yourself uh, and say, that's none of my business. And of course, you need to do that in a healthy and safe way. Of course, you need to realise you can't take responsibility for everyone and everything. Of course, you need to realise that Jesus is the chief shepherd. But you will involve yourself in the lives and the emotions of what goes on in people's life because it's not just a job. It's loving and leading brothers and sisters in Christ. It's real sheep um, that Christ died for. And can I say, I'm really thankful that so many of you get that and so many at 10am get that, that I'm not doing that on my own and us as pastors aren't doing that on our own, that we share that love, concern, leadership of others uh, with each other. I praise God for that. Now notice um, what else characterises Paul's ministry. Second thing is, it's a ministry of the word. So have a look in verse 20. You know that I've not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I've declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in the Lord Jesus. Or look down in verse 27. For I've not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. And see, what is Paul doing? He's speaking words from God. He's teaching, he's warning, he's testifying. And he's saying, I'm, I'm going to teach you the whole will of God, the whole word of God. Um, the hard bits and the easy bits, the bits that are popular, the bits that are unpopular. I'm not going to pick and choose I'm not going to shy away from the bits that are culturally sensitive. Uh, I'm going to love you by preaching to you the truth. Um, uh, that's what we're trying to do here at Salt. Uh, that's why we, we, we want the Bible to be at the centre of everything we do. It's why we teach through books of the Bible. Um, because I don't want to catch myself skipping parts of the Bible that I'm just too afraid to preach but are true and good for us. And so we'll work our way through the Bible. And Paul does it with great passion, doesn't he? Because he knows, look at verse 29, savage wolves are coming. That is, false teachers are coming. Um, people who distort the truth, they draw disciples away. Uh, read it with me in verse 29. I know that I've, after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So it's not savage wolves might come, it's savage wolves will come. And some of them will even come from your own church. And so Paul says, don't be naive. Some of the sheep bite. Some of the sheep are actually not sheep, they're wolves in sheep's clothing. Um, and so... Paul is just deadly serious about this work, isn't he? Here is the church that God bled for. And so he's intensely passionate, he's warm-hearted about his teaching, about his warning. This is so much more than just a personality thing for Paul, isn't it? He actually gets something. He actually gets, this is a spiritual battle that we're involved in. 
that this really matters, that this, this, there's a war going on, not a physical war, but a spiritual war, a war over truth, uh, that people will, will arise, they'll distort the truth, they'll lie, they'll carry away disciples, they'll harm the very sheep that God bled for. Paul gets that. And he, he totally gets how precious the church is, doesn't he? He's so caught up in the message of the good news of Jesus going out to the world and people becoming disciples. And then he's so caught up in we need to love and care and protect these disciples that Christ died for. So it's new disciples, but it's, on, it's an ongoing work, protecting, nurturing, feeding God's precious church. And he gets this is the most important thing in the world. He totally gets the gravity of what happens every Sunday as we gather. He totally gets the gravity of the good news going out to the lost. And I reckon when we get that gravity, two things uh, will switch on for us. Let me finish with these, these two things. The first one is we'll get how important the health and stability of church leadership is of pastors and teams of leaders. It will commit us to ensuring we have the right people in place. It will mean that we pray for uh, those who are called to leadership. Uh, We'll pray for the unsung heroes of pastors, their wives, uh, and the partners of leaders across church. But I reckon, secondly, when you see what God has done to make his church. It kind of, it makes sense of what we're doing in church, doesn't it? It kind of makes sense of why we're so serious about inviting and praying for new disciples. It makes sense about why we're so, uh, we think it's so important to gather as God's people every Sunday and encourage one another. It, It makes sense of why we would gather during the week to be a small group and love and pray for one another and look into God's word deeply with one another. It kind of makes sense of why your pastor would want you to serve and use the gifts for the sake of God's glory in his church uh, and why your um, pastor would ask you to to give up time and energy and money towards this cause uh, because it's the church that God bled for. It makes sense of leaders and pastors who warn you about sin. That is an incredibly loving thing to do. Uh, It makes sense of why pastors and leaders shed tears for you and lead you by example and rejoice with you when when things are going well. Uh, It makes sense of all of these things when you realise God bled for his church. So precious, so serious, so important. Uh, that, that the making of disciples, the strengthening and protecting of God's flock is what God is thoroughly committed to. And that what, what we should care deeply about as we care for one another, as we give everything, we give our time, our energy, our money, it is worth us giving all of those things. I'm going to pray to that end.